Hello, you're listening to KPMG's Delivering Digital Podcast, a podcast for CIOs and technology leaders who are facing the unique challenges of delivering digital transformation in a large organization. We focus on your issues, giving you practical, independent advice. I'm Colm O'Neill, and today I am joined by our very own Danny Michaud from KPMG Ireland, and we're going to be talking about cyber security. Danny is our very own Sherlock Holmes, or Miss Marple, of the cyber world, helping our clients to deal with the fallout of cyber attacks, or more importantly, taking the necessary steps to avoid them in the first place. Danny, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Colm. Very nice to be here, indeed. And I, and I thought we might start with you and a little bit of background about you and how you've arrived here leading our, um, our cyber business. Thanks, Colm. That's very nice. So I joined KPMG now 13 years ago, originally in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. I spent a fair bit of time uh, there, about 11 years, leading our Asia-Pacific practice at the time, building a large-scale security team, and then family called in, ultimately, and it was a good time to move back to Europe, right? And we looked at Dublin as being one of those cosmopolitan cities with a good vibe, young people, very exciting place where you can actually come and look at uh, establishing further cybersecurity business. When you look around, we have a lot of technology companies, uh, which are based both in Cork, in Dublin, in the north, in Belfast, very large-scale security companies, actually, who are also based here. So it was really interesting place and market to come to. So I moved here two years ago, uh, subsequently became the IMA cyber head as well, uh, just so that we deal with now. We have colleagues in 52 countries in uh, Europe and Middle East and Africa, and we we work with more than 3,000 colleagues around the region. So it's a very exciting time for me. So you're not just working in our Irish practice, you're responsible for that practice right across the European region. And it's amazing to think, even even when you came to Ireland to establish that cyber practice, the landscape is utterly different now from what it was back in those days, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that at the time when we looked back, we were saying, well, you know, it's interesting to see the you know, the, the businesses were talking about digital transformation, we're talking, seeing the steps of moving to cloud. And then I moved six months before COVID hit, right? And then we had COVID hitting and then the whole world changed. Yeah. Not only, I, I believe for the better, right? Yes. With enabling more and more technology yeah. and making, you know, fast accelerated deployments. But at the same time, I think there was the dark side, which people probably didn't fully appreciate. Um, and, and again, that, digital disruption for me caused additional or allowed additional efficiency within the um, you know criminal criminal organizations to do yeah because you because it's because you um when you go through digital transformation um, not only does your business become more reliant on the technology that you use to run the business but you also open up new fronts for um for potential you know, um, actors who would have nefarious um, uh, objectives in mind to, to come and attack you. You're absolutely right, right? It's almost interesting. You, you, when when a business leaders think about digital transformation, they, they in my mind, they imagine a big highways, right? So you yeah. suddenly have opened this amazing highways with a huge amount of more customers coming to use your services. But you could say, as more, more roads you have coming in, you don't necessarily invite just the good people, you also invite the bad people to come yeah. in as well, right? So it's it's very interesting, but many times people don't think that way. They always think about the positive use of technology, 
now one can argue that you know possible positive use has a different prism if you're a professional you think about positive use as creating revenue you know helping digital society and just broadly the society with digital services yeah. enabling people poorer regions outreach rural areas etc right with with the technology which you have now criminals use positive technology usage as you know ways against, to create more revenue you. and and then actually getting uh, themselves quick into areas they would have wanted to uh, previously so yeah. it's really interesting prism depending on who you speak to i thought i thought we might start with that actually um be, because I think a lot of people, albeit they hear about uh, um, cyber attacks and so on, a lot of us don't know what actually happens when a cyber attack occurs. So could you maybe describe for you know, CIOs or, um, or technology leaders out there who might be listening, what is it like when a cyber attack hits? Yeah, people, I always say it's like almost like uh, watching a CSI, CSI Miami and what do the forensics investigators found after a bad crash, right? So I think that in many cases it starts with a very simple way of saying people want to have access to your systems, right? And they want to do things. And actually they use the systems for what the systems were created in many ways, accessing data, accessing funds, accessing, uh, you know, any type of information you actually were storing on those systems. Now, the only question is whether that was an authorized and intended usage, yeah. in a way it was made for unintended use, mm -hmm. right? So criminals, depend, depending on who, who they are, we, we try to probably as a good consultants label them in different categories. But you know, if you look at nation states and nation state actors, what they really want to do is they want to get access to information. They want to control the environment you have. And in fact, they just want to feed that information back for other purpose, for greater purpose, probably in many ways, right? Yeah. And that's usually underpinning geopolitical tensions, aiding foreign states, etc. right? So it's, it's really, all they want to do is stay on the infrastructure, get as much data as they want, as they can, yeah. right? And put that data to service a broader, broader agenda. So they right. might never impact your operations it at all. It may never impact you. You may never even see them on the environment. They'll, they'll just sit there yeah, gathering absolutely. information. Absolutely. So, for example, if you're a large telecom, they may just be interested in obtaining, you know, call records uh, of people, seeing that they're located, actually understanding who they speak to, who they're connected to, mm -hmm. where they were, where they were roaming, right, things yeah. like that. But they don't want to actually lose that connectivity. They want to stay there and stay there for long, long periods of time because yeah. that provides them intelligence data. If you're a power company, for example, they would like to know, well, what's your capacity of production? Yeah. They would like to know, well, you know, what would cause a severe impact to a country? Yeah. And we've seen with some geopolitical tensions, for example, in Eastern Europe, where entire countries go down when this again broader issues on a geopolitical level, right? Uh, why? Because you're able to control critical infrastructure, you're potentially able to shut down the economy of a country if you're able to shut down power grids, for yes. example. Right? Everything if, runs on energy. Everything runs on energy. If you if you supply, well, let's say if you are oil, oil tank, well, if you have oil tankers, you probably are just an oil tank uh, terminal, right? Yeah. But you are part of a bigger picture where, again, geopolitically, when there's fights for energy, right, yeah. you actually force more part of a very big, big puzzle, as I call it, of that. Yeah. So 
for me, what's interesting is really for executives to think about what happens, you ask me, right? But if that happens, you not even know. So nothing happens in that so situation. So technically nothing happens in that situation. You, you probably would notice if you were really observing very, very heavily your infrastructure. Yeah. They'll be going very low key. They'll look like just like normal people. Yeah. And you'll never even find out, yeah. right? So you might not even be able to do anything as, a, as an executive if, you, if you're ever in that type of situation. Yeah. Now, if you're targeted by organized criminals, they want money, right? So that's, I call them the ruthless enterprises. And we call them like that, right? Because yeah. what people, they don't have a motive apart from we really want to make money as quickly as we can. And mm -hmm. the more we can do, the better, right? It's yeah. all about return of investment. Yeah. It's like launching new channel, digital channel. So unless until it makes money for you, why would you want launch it, right? Yeah. So with organized criminals, it's all about money. So what we have dealt with over the last couple of months, actually, it's becoming massively more disruptive. Uh, we call that the, the, there's a type of attack called ransomware with double extortion element to it. So they quickly get in the environment and probably, you know, a couple of, I would say now, a couple of hours later, your environment will be completely encrypted, means the systems would not be able to be use, usable anymore. And they'll probably have stolen a large set of data, citing GDPR <laughs> exposures, right? Yeah. Uh, and then demanding a couple of million euros payment as mm -hmm. a ransom, uh, no, uh, ransom notes are left, and they demand uh, you know, a couple of million euros from you to ensure that you're protected and that they help you recover. And more importantly, keep your confidence that they've taken all your data out, right? Because that, as we all understand, have a big implications. So in those cases, what happens is typically in the first, I always say, I always feel bad for the CIOs and CEOs because they're not very well prepared, I think, in many cases to deal with that. People, what happens is in the first probably couple of days, the moment you have found out, it's already too late, yeah. right? Because likely within the next two hours, by the time you try and get your management team together, your entire systems have gone, right? So it's really a daunting moment of daunting moment of sitting in and thinking about, right, I get this call as a CAO or CEO. Yeah. Do I truly know how far the attack has gone? And the answer is probably not really, right? And things just unfold for the worst in, in many cases. Yeah. And then there's just this basic attacks, which typically you'd see a noise on the system. So again, quickly, it's how quickly you find out about it, you're able to contain it, and hopefully it doesn't escalate in one of the either the second level or the third level, as we discussed. So at that, at that first, when, when the first um, attack becomes evident, the, 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 the initial thing you've got to do is work out basically what type of attack is it? Is it, a, is it an all out um, ransomware where they've stolen a data set and encrypted all of your systems? Or is it something a little less invasive and, then you, and you would deal with that in, in a different way, I presume? Yeah, exactly. And you're trying to really find out how bad is it as quickly as you can, right? So because usually as that, that happens, if you had had a good security operations teams, they would have picked, they would have picked up a pattern, right? Yeah. And as you see the initial exposure coming in and actually the attack dropping in, your, contain, your immediate response, right, of containing that as quickly as you can is the most crucial thing. Yeah. So it's almost like if you say, I try and explain it in a very simplistic way. Yeah. If you're hit by a car, right, if you're in a car crash, the first response team, right, the people who first are on the scene dealing with the victim is yeah. the most important thing for me, right? Because that's life 
potentially for injuries are life threatening, you're either dead or alive, right? Coming out of that, going to the hospital, right? Yes. So it's very similar with us, right? So you, as the attack comes in and you're hit by it, right? The first response and the first team who actually deals with the attack for me is the most crucial, right? Because they'll be able to know exactly what's happened, very quickly try and contain and put additional measures to ensure that it doesn't become worse and affects yes. other parts of the organization, similarly affects other organs within your body, right? So is that first immediate response for me is very, very crucial. And quite often, Danny, you and your team are that first immediate response. You are the you are the people in We're the ambulances. Yeah, 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 yeah we are. And, and so, I mean, a lot of our clients have developed initial uh, response teams within the organizations. And I always say that speed, that agility, the ability to quickly call in and know exactly what to do, it's very, very key, right? Yeah. So I always say, if you, you should ask yourself, do I have a good emergency response team? Have we trained them? It's like training people for fire. Fire can happen, right? But how quickly do I drill that? How quickly the emergency response goes in? Do I know how much time it takes them? Do I measure that to yeah. know, well, okay, we know that in five minutes people are gonna be down and it's gonna take that long to deal with it, right? At least to assemble the team, to get on site, to actually deal with it. And if you have external providers like KPMG, then the question is how quickly would they be on site as well, right? So it's yeah. really exercising that whole element of working with your emergency response teams, assembling them, deal with the issues quickly, knowing each other. So all of that is very, very key. And maybe just um, moving on to that now as a, as a kind of a next, next question. And I, I have a quote here from um, Harvard Business Review. And the article was titled rather ominously, Cyber Attacks Are Inevitable. Is your company prepared? That was the title of the uh, of the article. But the quote they said was responding appropriately to a cyber attack is not just the responsibility of the cybersecurity team. Everybody, the board of directors, company executives, managers and team members have to know their roles and their responsibilities. So that's, that sounds quite comprehensive in terms of what would be required to prepare. What, what would you be recommending to our clients in terms of what they should be doing to prepare for what Harvard Business Review is telling them is an inevitability? Well, I always say the most difficult thing for many, and I, I fully agree, actually, I'm probably a good consultant, therefore I agree, right? But um, I would say that the interesting thing for me is that Many organizations say, oh, yeah, the security team is there. I've ticked the box of ensuring I have an incident response team and probably I can call my insurance company. So many, many of those companies tend to, in my view, completely outsource in a way the management of an actual incident, yeah. which shouldn't be the case, right? Because you're still a management team, you're still a board of directors, you have a absolutely end-to-end -end accountability to ensure that every step taken in that response was the correct step. And what I mean that, by that is many organizations develop business continuity plans, right? Or emergency response procedures. So again, if you take a step back and say, well, okay, if, was a, if I was a bank, probably I have a business continuity plans, which would take things, operational resiliency plans, which would take things like into account such as, okay, if a building collapses or I can't open a branch, what mm -hmm. would I do, right? Many companies, if let's say you utility company, for example, you have an emergency response plan, well, what will happen if I have fire within one of my generation facilities, for example, and so on, right? So people have many business continuity and emergency response plans, but what they don't have, right, 
is thinking about cyber incidents in a holistic fashion. Yeah. So they'll say, okay, if system one is down, I'll have system B. And our point is many times when system one is down, so is system B, C, D, and E, right? So did you guys think about the fact that tomorrow you may receive a call that none of your systems is available? Yeah. Effectively, you will operate with zero IT, and that's not gonna be just for 72 hours, yeah. right? Every single business continuity plan I have reviewed in the last 12 months talks about individual system failure with a recovery objective within 72 hours max, right? Every incident I've dealt with, right? A recovery objective usually is four to six weeks. So my question to the boards and management teams is, okay, so could you please explain to me what is the minimum viable product of operating your bank, your power company, your telecom, actually your corporate organization with zero IT. Yeah. How would you operate as a business? And to me, that's when the realization should come that you actually have to take a holistic view and say, well, okay, if that ever happens to me, because many of them will still say that will never happen to me, yeah. and start with the first thing is the acceptance that this is a normal game nowadays. Yeah. This is not anymore three years ago where we used to say, well, that doesn't happen. Well, that happens every day, and it happens, by the way, for every type of company, yeah. irrespective of your size, geographical location, etc. right? So then the game becomes is how well prepared I am. Have I thought about my minimum viable product, right? Yeah. Can I just run a bank with one channel, yeah. right? Can I just outsource my entire call center and have a completely different one and have an arrangement for that? Well, if you're a power company, well, how would you operate if you had no IT, yes. right? So would your systems, would, would your production of generation facility, would it continue operating irrespective of what's happened on that? Or even if it doesn't, then what's going to happen, right? So yeah. how, would you, how would you deal with that? And so as you keep going on, it's really interesting, and that's just the operational element of it. But then people forget that this, you have a supply obligations, yeah. right? So recently we had a case in Germany and a few other countries actually, right, where suppliers for a large, let's say, uh, supplier of a large-scale uh, car manufacturer, for example, yeah. right? So then the question is, well, what's my obligation? And am I meeting operational service level agreements to continue providing supply Companies, what's my would I be uh, would they litigate against me if I miss miss my SLAs? That's third party obligations. Then we go through what's obligation in case of data breach. So do yeah. I have actually obligations to inform my three, four, five thousand suppliers and everyone else I was dealing with, right? So you just go through. It's interesting, right? Because then you start going through operational recovery on one side. And then the amount of legal third-party legislative requirements, etc. On the other hand, yeah. and by the way, notwithstanding, you have a communication and regulatory inqu inquiries, right? Yeah. Government inquiries in when things happen. And so, so it's, it's a huge spectrum of disruption, effectively. So it's almost like the first job of the technology leader is to help the whole business understand that this is not a technology issue absolutely it's a it's an enterprise-wide challenge to deal with because because if or when something like this were to happen on a significant scale in an, in an organization the the it operation will be focused on trying to recover their their systems and so on and so forth but that could take way beyond the absolutely. kind of the time scale that the business could run normally with it systems 
Correct. And the other thing is, uh, for me, it's absolutely spot on, right? The question then is, is that a decision which the IT department can make? Yeah. What would I recover first? Or should that be a business decision because the business knows better yeah. what and, and can guide the, the IT department in a large scale down, you know, down downtime? Yeah. What's the most important thing? I need this type of service because helps me operate X, Y, and Z within my business. Yeah. And usually that connection is missing. Many times, you know, for IT people, I always forget, uh, people forget, for IT people like us, system is a system, whether it was the most critical or the least critical system has an IP address, it's a computer, right? Yeah. You want my com that computer app or the other one, right? It, it does not matter. We can do it. If you had 10,000 computers, we need to bring all of them up. Yeah. Question is what sequence in. Yeah. Question is what's dependent on what. And by the way, to run that specific business process, what type of systems do I need? What type of interconnectivity do I need? What dependencies do I have? And by the way, what data sets do I need? So all that links are very, very crucial to us. And if, if, you, if, you, if you build on that, Danny, and, and look at the role of the IT department, which is you know, obviously to raise awareness and help people understand it's an enterprise-wide problem, participate in that conversation to work out you know, what's the priority order of restore if we were hit. Um, but there's, a, there's also you know, the, the things they can do in the technology environment um, to, to protect themselves. And it feels to me like we've moved from a world where you are trying to um, guarantee that no one will get in, which is now impossible, to dealing with, um, with, with and, and dealing with on an active, ongoing basis, um, ongoing threats entering your environment, but just dealing with them effectively. Is that is that no, a... absolutely. And for me, it's living with it, right? And probably I'll, I'll use the term of living with COVID, right? But it's living with it because. Yeah. To me, what I hope organizations become are quite adaptable and yeah. resilient, right? Because ultimately, what you see today is very different than what you see in three, three weeks or in a month's time, or actually, in fact, in three years' time. People yeah. ask me, can you imagine what three years will look like? I say, I'm even scared sometimes to think about it, right? But honestly, the biggest thing organizations, in my mind, can do is understand their own business. The businesses have shifted. Right, the technology landscape has shifted a lot in the last four, four, well, I would say 48 months, right? So everything has become quite different. So the question is, do we still fully appreciate how are we running actually those business processes? How are we running our business? And in fact, have conversations, hard, the hard conversations to have of what's not important when you have to have minimum, right? I keep yeah. referring to a minimum viable product, but it is in the end, right? So what, what is the minimum thing I need I need to do to be able to continue operating. And when you think about that and have that readiness, then the next question is, well, let me try different type of things against that, right? Yeah. Bring us down in various ways. Let's train ourselves and actually say, I would like to be adaptable means to say that irrespective of what happens, I know I'm always going to be able to go back to that core, which is you know, my ability to survive, right? Yeah. So as a human, I always say you might fall and break your leg or break your hand. But as far as I've learned something from a doctor, yeah. right? Uh, once I was dealing with uh, hospitals and, you know, with uh, medical staff. So generally two things in your body are the most important thing, your brain and your heart, yeah. right? That's a minimal viable product as a human. So then the question is, what's a minimal viable product as an organization, yes. right? So for you to continue working under tremendous pressure, yes. right? So 
And that's where you start doing stress test scenarios around, well, how would I continue operate operating in a complete stressed environment and what that minimum viable product do uh, would be and irrespective of what happens as I say where they fall down and break my leg hand whatever whatever yeah. as far as these two things are there and always will be there in some sort of setup some way, yeah. then you'll be fine yeah. right and then you'll recover back so and then obviously as you test and just test more you become more resilient, yes. right? Because you're better trained, you know how to deal with it, you know how your suppliers know how to deal with it. Yeah. So everybody becomes more and more prepared. So it right? becomes an ongoing process of, and I, 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 I love that term, that the resilience of the organization that, that you that And you agility, build right? In. So it's yeah. almost, yeah, agility and, you know, we call them adaptability to new things, right? So you get adaptable. Say, we as the humans are very adaptable, right? So yes. we all learn to, to work remotely yeah. overnight interestingly when it comes down to cyber people don't necessarily <laughs> see it that way yes. right yeah, yeah. We, i think i think we've gone through a business cycle which has been very dominated by um efficiency and we're now moving to a world which values resilience alongside efficiency and so you've got a you've now got kind of i think two um two demanding um factors in your decision making one is, is are we doing this in the most efficient way possible Absolutely. and then the second thing is but is it resilient and are we are we able to um, handle unexpected things happening in our environment and how well are we able to do that and again as i say many times uh, i always say there's always things in the menu you'd like to see right yeah. and those are the good to have things yeah but coming down to the basics right the question is what is the basic things i always need yeah, right to survive. and just go around those and figure out as i always say we have technology is fantastic right yeah. um you you can have a minimum viable product thrown on cloud and you know just back to your customers it might look seamless right in terms yeah. of what's happened and they may not even realize the extent of attack you're dealing with because you're able to smoothly transition to something which was a uh, completely alternative, right? So that's inter- quite interesting, actually. And um, great build uh, for, <laughs> for my for my final final question for you. Um, oh, that's scary. Now maybe I'm reading your mind now, Colin. There you go. <laughs> it's a, we've we've worked one too many times together, yeah, Danny. But but one of the fascinating things I've learned from you about that, this whole area is how cyber criminals run their operations like a business in the same way we we run our businesses. Um, and they're constantly evolving, you know, for want of a better term, their product and they're testing new ways to attack businesses more efficiently, uh, you know, particularly the cyber criminals who are like just interested in, in, in money. So as you look forward into 2022, what do you see as the things that might emerge through 2022 that we haven't even thought of today? Yeah, no, it's a very, very good question. And we actually started seeing bits of it right over the last couple of months. We always have been speaking about uh, supply chain risks, right? Mm-hmm. Over the last probably 12, 18 months, I personally have said, I'll say supply chain is coming up, supply chain risks coming up. But interestingly, we started seeing those materialize in quite faster, more efficient way. Uh, again, quite interestingly, when you compromise a supplier, you're likely compromising more than one company. Yeah. So I always say, to companies now look out look watch out for supply chain related risks yes. your organization faces uh, because we have done so much digitalization now because we have moved into cloud and cloud enabled services there's a huge potential underlying current of supply chain related risks mm-hmm. again for me that's very important because that's third parties remotely managing your infrastructure 
right? Understanding how do they actually manage their own infrastructure and access into your environment, right? So it, it's, it's becoming once, and again, the, crimin, the criminal mind is quite interesting, right? So they go to the, through the least, I was the, the, the least, you know, point potential of point of, yeah, yeah. Point of his, uh, least resistance, right? So if you fortify yourself, that's great, right? But if you leave or, you know, if you have a back door to your neighbor and the neighbor had a back door, right? So why not compromise the neighbor, right? So that yeah. would be pretty much the way you look at it because that's the fastest way of getting into your environment. Yeah. So to me, it's really about when one thinks through and says, well, okay, if I understand my own services and my own infrastructure, do I fully understand my infrastructure in relation to my third, fourth, and fifth companies. Yeah. Once, probably in 2016, when I, when I was in Asia, I dealt with a large scale, probably a precursor for what we see nowadays, um, attack, which came through a fourth party supplier, not yeah. even third, right? So, yeah. and also very, very difficult to manage and to, to identify, because again, you just see an attack vector coming in, but in a traditional security sense, you say, okay, shut down that connection, but you can't because that's the business of somebody else and yeah. let alone if it's the business of somebody else. So it becomes really, really more difficult. Yeah. Thinking about the obligation of suppliers to notify. Yes. Non-existent in many cases, right? Actually obligations to share information about incidents where we don't, right? Mm -hmm. So as I say, criminal, criminals are very smart that way, using all of those issues between companies to exploit them. Yes. Right, so definitely one big one. Geopolitical issues, so for anybody who operates in critical national infrastructure, yeah. definitely because of the geopolitical tensions across the world, right? Notwithstanding what we're seeing, obviously Russia and Ukraine, Middle East is undergoing, right, etc., etc. So it's increased amount of geopolitical issues. Every time that happens, you see a large scale critical infrastructure attacks, yeah. right? And we expect those to definitely happen within the energy sector, yes. right? Because it just what the, the world, crisis is around the world, the, world runs runs around, <laughs> the world runs in energy, and that includes everything from obviously and and well gas and oil and gas, and gas companies, power and utilities, etc. Right? So for me, a big big topic around critical infrastructure. Another one I would imagine was a, in, in similar fashion might become big again will be aviation because okay. people are starting to fly again. Yeah. Right? So again, with every single change in dynamics of economies, you actually see interestingly implications of the type of scams we see. So definitely around, I would say, imagine traveling scams, you know, banking scams again will come back yeah. to increase because people are just starting to move, to move. around, which again creates a perfect opportunity for, 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 for others to, to exploit, yeah. right? And I would say the big, the big thing will be ransomware attacks will continue, right? Although, although the governments are putting quite a big effort to disrupt infrastructure. Yeah. All what happens is a couple of months later, you see those emerge again yeah. uh, by different groups. Um, again, probably it's quite a shocking one for people. We've seen 600% increase in ransomware attacks over the last um, couple of months. Over the last uh, couple of months. Yeah. yeah. So we actually, even in the last three, four months itself, the methods of those ransomware groups changed. Yes. So we've seen them becoming far more disruptive. So they, the way they used to operate will be they will actually encrypt systems and then they'll extract data and then they'll demand payment. The way it works right now is that they'll, before they encrypt systems, that they'll delete part of the environment, right? To make it just that bit more difficult for you to, to even recover. know what's happened to you. Yeah. 
then they'll encrypt and then they'll move out together with the data, right? Yeah. So it bec it's becoming more disruptive, right? Yeah. And I'm saying people should just be ready for disrupt more disruptive uh, events over the next couple of months. So that's that's me. Very good. Well, listen, Donny, it is always fascinating to talk to you. And um, thank you for joining us today on KPMG's Delivering Digital podcast, where we focus on your issues, giving you practical, independent advice. Thank you.